In this week's In-Ear Insights, let's talk about third-party relationship management. Now, uh, Trust Insights is very often a third party, a vendor or a partner to other companies. And we in turn also have partners and vendors. And in the current economic environment, particularly in B2B and in tech, there's been tons of layoffs and things. Uh, a lot of people starting up their own things. A lot of people trying to figure out what to do next. A lot of companies in a position of, hey, we just laid off everybody. And now look, there's still a lot of work to be done. No one's here to do it. Well, I guess we better to bring in some partners to, to do the work for us. So, Katie, for people who are, particularly who are on the brand side, who suddenly find themselves with all the work but none of the people, um, what should they be doing? What should they be thinking about when they bring vendors in? Because I know the, the instinct is, crap, just bring some companies, get the work done now. And obviously, it's like anything. You don't want to bring in the first thing that comes along like you know you, when you're at the adoption agency for the for your dog you'll just grab the first dog you see um you, you you test out the different personalities take it for a little walk and stuff and you know see if they they they, they gel with you um when you have a when you're evaluating a third-party vendor of some kind how, how do you take them for a little walk well uh let me backtrack a little bit and clarify that this is why i'm not allowed to go to the shelters and adoption agencies because I would just take the first one and then the second one and then the third one and then all of them. Um, but, you know, you, when you're bringing on a vendor or an agency or a contractor, any third party uh, that you have to do relationship management with, you really, it's, it's an interview, you know? And so, you know, Chris, you and I come from the agency world where those interviews were often you know, a lot of glitz and glamour and sparkle, but not a whole lot of substance. Uh, and that's not to say that substantive work wasn't going to get done, but it wasn't the flip that we led with. It was the, let me just dazzle you with the bright lights and the pretty, pretty pictures. And to me, as someone who's now in that decision-making position, I don't want to see any of that. That does nothing for me. And so you first need to decide what your interview process is going to consist of. Do you want people to just give you big flashy pitch decks or do you actually want to drill down into the weeds with them and understand what it is that they're doing? Um, and for some for some companies, the, the flash and the glitz and the glitter is what they want and that's fine. But you have to make that decision. You have to have that internal expectation going in. And then you need to really have a strong understanding of what exactly this third party is going to be doing for you, whether it's a piece of software, whether it's a contractor, whether it's a whole agency, you know, if they're going to act on your behalf, if they're going to, you know, if you're going to white label them, it doesn't matter. You still need to set those expectations. And I think that that's first and foremost where these relationships absolutely go wrong. It's a lack of expectation setting, both internally and externally. And so, Chris, if we were to bring out a contractor, if I just said, hey, you know, here's Julie, our contractor, you'd be like, great, what is she going to do? I'd be like, I don't know, I you wanted a contractor, here's a contractor, just go have her do stuff. Poor Julie's going to sit there and go, but, but what do you want me to do? How do I know if I'm doing the thing? How do I know I'm not going to let get let, get, let go because I didn't do the thing? And so expectations, first and foremost, is number one. Are we getting someone named Julie? No, we're not. Not today. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> not today. So when <laughs> when it comes to choosing these partners, though, 
I remember when at the old shop, yeah, the dog and pony show was a lot of glitz and glamour. But in some ways, that was appropriate because it was mm-hmm. a public relations firm. You right. want to see some some glitz and glamour when right. you bring on, say, an analytics partner. You probably expect some level of polish and professionalism, of course, um, but you probably also don't expect you know dancing clowns and people dressing up and and, and all sorts of, of interesting stunts. So how? If you're trying to evaluate a partner for a particular role, what are the steps you need to take to make sure that you you choose the right partner? Because one of the things that I've seen happen an awful lot is companies make choices, and this is a human thing, um, mm-hmm. based on relationships. And in some companies and in some industries, there's very much still the old boys club. And it's like, oh, this is my my frat brother from 20 years ago. You know, he's he's got his agency. We're just gonna go with him. And it's like, eh, but is that the best fit? How would how do you how do you figure out that yes, while that person, that relationship may be important, that company may or may not be the best suited to do the job that you need them to do. Well again, it goes back to expectation setting. So really starting with you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And so if the problem you're trying to solve is, you know, quantum mechanics and your buddy's agency does, you know, Canva images, it's probably not a good fit. Um, You know, it's sort of the old, you know, don't work with your friends, don't work with your family. There is a reason for that because the lines get blurred. Um, You know, and that's not to say that it's not an acceptable choice. But you really need to be objective when picking. And that's the other piece that sort of to your point, Chris, about the human piece of it. You know, oh, let me do my buddy a favor. He's got this agency and they need some business. Let me just throw him a bone and he could do the work for me. That's not a great way to go about picking agencies for your company because that may or may not work out. And then if you sort of involve that personal relationship with friends you know if you have to say hey you're not doing your job i have to let your agency go it's going to be a harder conversation because you're more emotionally invested Mm -hmm. so in terms of you know if you work at a company that your decision maker keeps hiring you know their friends their buddies there may be nothing that you can do about that what you can do about that is wrangle the relationship in a way that you can demonstrate it's either working or not working. And that goes back to the expectation setting. How do you define those KPIs? Because in some cases, you'll have, you know, maybe you're bringing on a social media marketing vendor, of, uh-huh. so a partner of some kind. And maybe the person who's in charge is like, oh, they're just going to go tweet. I have to go tweet. Um, what, do you, what do you see as the, the most effective ways to set those KPIs for that vendor? I mean, it's probably easiest to start with a user story. And so uh, as a social media marketer, I want to, you know, tweet more so that I can increase engagement. I can increase followers. I can increase awareness. And so by stating that user story, um, it helps you start to narrow down, like, what is the purpose of bringing on this agency, this vendor, this contractor, this piece of software uh, that's going to automatically do the thing for me. And the so that is what becomes the start of your KPI. And so if I say, Chris, we need a social media person, your first question is going to be probably what for? (laughs) Why? Why? 
why do we need and i will say something you know like um we're not getting enough awareness we're not getting enough you know our, our our account isn't big enough we don't have enough followers people don't know who we are so we need to be on social media even more and so okay so i'm giving you these big grandiose you know goals you as the one who's setting the expectations can start to drill down and say what i heard my out of touch ceo say is that they want a bigger online presence they want their digital footprint to increase so that people know who we are and what we do okay i can work with that and then you can start to bring it down into more granular kpis gotcha so in that case you know the, you have said awareness is a goal yep if we were looking for a partner to increase our awareness how would we go about what do what are the things you think you would look for in in a partner to build awareness because there's public relations there's yep. advertising there's influencer marketing there's and we have we have friends and colleagues in all these spaces where do i start um, you know, I would start to look at our deficits in terms of what we as a company currently can't do, at, whether it be from a skill set or resource side. Um, you know, what are we sort of missing out on and what are the things that bring in a lot of awareness for us? So we know that organic search brings in good awareness. We know that social media brings in good awareness, but neither one of those things uh are a focus for you and I at the moment just because resources it's not that we can't it's that we don't have time and so I would start to look at okay who can we bring in to supplement our existing content plan who can we bring in to not only supplement the content plan but also share that content on social media once it's published once it's live and having those two things go together to me would be like okay that's the way that we trust insights can start to drive more awareness but then I would also take a look at, well, what skills do we have that we're just not using effectively enough? And so that is the public speaking, that is the webinars, that is the, you know, uh, guest blogging, the, you know, guest podcasting, all of those things that bring us outside of our own network into other people's networks. And so working backward from there to say, okay, why aren't these things getting done? We have the skills to do them. Maybe we don't have time to pitch ourselves onto other podcasts. Maybe we don't have time to clean up our content and put something together as a guest post. Maybe we don't have time to pitch that guest post. So that's where I would start to look for resources to help <laughs> fill those gaps. Gotcha. So it sounds like that's almost the middle core of the, the five like, P's, right? We have the platform. We got the stuff. Right. Um, we don't have the time to execute the processes because we actually know the processes we right. just don't have the time to do them so really for us it's, it is literally a people problem um what if though if, if someone is in a, a different situation where perhaps they don't even have the stuff um how do you how do you help someone prioritize which partners to bring in because yeah you know your ceo might say okay you have 10k a month to go uh -huh. get some help go get some help how do you figure out okay well where which which is the thing that's going to make the, the the biggest bang so that i can get more budget knowing that i've got to show some results early in the fast if you don't have any of the stuff or you don't know if you have any of the stuff you have to start with the 5p audit to really understand what you're working with and so the purpose that would be you know i want to drive awareness the people okay we don't have anyone to do the thing and if we don't have anyone to do the thing the likelihood of us having a process probably doesn't exist either 
uh, the platform is to be determined. And then the performance would be we have more awareness and so more people coming to our website. And so that's where you might have to spend a little bit of time interviewing these agencies. Um, no, well, first of all, you have to understand, you yourself have to decide whether, what are the things that I am comfortable with our agent, our company doing that would drive awareness. And so let's just say it's social media and organic search. Uh, so it would be, you know, content and posting. I would probably try to find a couple of different agencies who do those things and say, help me understand how you have helped your clients drive awareness before. What have you done? How quickly does it work? What are the methods? What are the tactics? And then what are the results? And so really challenging these agencies that I'm interviewing to demonstrate to me, I want to see real examples of where the work that you have done has made an impact. How do you deal with a mismatch of, of expectations? Give an example. Um, you have a, a out-of-touch CEO uh, who says, go get me some more awareness, right? And uh -huh. then a month later comes back and says, so what was the ROI of that awareness? And you're <laughs> like, but th that, that wasn't what you asked for. <laughs> um, but yet we know... <laughs> We have we've heard that story a dozen times. You know, mm -hmm. back at the PR agency, every time the you know the the economy turns slightly sideways, the first thing the the, the CMO at the client would say is, "What's the ROI of your PR?" And we're like, "Well, <laughs> you didn't ask us to measure that, so we have no idea." It's you know the first thing that struck me about that question was you know they said you the example you gave was the C the CA the CEO sorry uh, the CEO says. I need more awareness. And then a month later, ask the question. That's the first problem right there. You have waited a whole month for the CEO to come back to you versus you proactively giving regular updates that would allow you to pivot if the CEO said, you know what, that's not what I was talking about. Or great, I want to know how much this is costing me or what's the ROI of this. It's easier to get those things set up at the beginning than it is once you're one month, two months, three months in waiting for the CEO to remember that they asked you for this thing. If they ask you for this thing on day one, on day two, provide an update. On day three, provide an update. On day four, provide an update. Even if they're small little bites of information, make sure that this stays on their radar so that on day six, when they go, what what is this? What am I looking at? You can say, well, on day one, you said to me, I need you to drive more awareness. Here are the steps that I am taking to make that happen. Oh yeah, awareness doesn't matter anymore. Uh, we need to drive uh, sales. We leads. Yeah, we yeah leads. whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, I'm only six days in versus 30 days in. And that's a big, you know, cost savings, time savings. And so in terms of the mismatch of expectations, make sure that you are putting those expectations front and center. This is what I understand uh, you asking me to do. Uh, this is what I'm hearing you say. This is what I'm doing based on the statement that you gave to me to drive awareness and just keep being as transparent as possible until they, and, and so, and, and I will say 10 times out of 10, you're giving these daily updates, these weekly updates, and the person who you're giving them to is ignoring them. They're not looking at them, but it is documented. So then when they say on day 23, what are you doing? Why are you spending this money? You can say, oh, well, if you look at the 22 previous days that I have shared with you the information, you know, 
I'm surprised that it took you this long to tell me this is not what you want because I have 22 documented days of what I've been doing and you didn't tell me to stop before then. When you think about in your role as our CEO, um, when you think about the vendors and the partners we work with, how do you measure their performance? Like, do you do you look at the you know the, the ledgers and say, well, you know, the ROI of this company is X, or the ROI of this company is that uh, of X? Because again, when the economy turns sideways, people go from gr a growth mindset to an ROI mindset. Instead, of how mm -hmm. can I get the biggest bang for my buck? How is 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 becomes you know how do I get the be the most efficient with my dollars because my budget got cut twenty five percent or something like that. So how do you measure our vendors? Well, I mean, it really comes. It really depends on what they've been engaged to do for us, and so there is no one magic number. And I think that that's sort of the first place I would start. If someone says to you, "What's the ROI?" Like that's the wrong question to be asking. Um, you know and so, you know, let's say, for example, uh, we were just playing with some software this morning, Chris, that makes connections between data sources and gives you notifications. What's the ROI of that? Well, the ROI of that is that we got notified about the thing that happened so that we can adjust one way or the other. It's not a monetary piece. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a, you know, numeric figure to say it saved us, you know, $10,000 by doing this thing. Like, and I think, so I think ROI is the wrong question. I guess I would ask you, because you're asking me all the questions. I want to turn this interview around on you, Chris. What would you say <laughs> if you were asked that question? It depends. And you hit it on it exactly. If the outcome is monetary, then ROI is one of a selection of potentially appropriate metrics, right? Uh, obviously, you want things like top line revenue, like did this did this earn any money? Um, and then, because if the if, if the answer is like no, we didn't earn any money at all from this, then they're like, okay, well then there's no, no there's no point in asking the ROI question because there's no uh, R in the ROI. Um, and if it's a non-monetary outcome, then the question is, is it of benefit? And then what is the importance of that benefit? So, for example, if you hired me, say a Ukrainian virtual assistant. Um, that person saved me 11 hours a week of, of time, right? Um, what is that time worth? Well, in one hand, you could say if, if, if you had, we're maybe we're talking to the CFO and the CFO is like, I need everything is dollars and cents and there's no other language I speak. Then you could say, okay, well, that 11 hours saved at my billing rate is X thousands of dollars. And therefore, I have X thousands of dollars more time that we could then book and bill to, to clients, to customers. And so if we're spending $1,000 to earn back $11,000 of time, then there's a financial measurement that the CFO could at least look at and go, okay, well, at least I know that you're, A, you're speaking my language, and B, that you're actually keeping an eye on things and, and, and not just spending money and, and not having an idea what you're getting for it. For things that where there just is no monetary outcome, it depends on the benefit, um, the, the big picture benefit. And that is, you know, for example, if you're investing a lot of time, say, learning how to use the causal impact library in, in that is part of R, which is something I'm, I'm looking at right now, what's the value of that time expenditure? Right now it's zero, right? Because we're still learning what the heck this thing does and why it might be important. But then once it comes out of R&D, then it goes into production. And then they would say, okay, this is now a billable service that we can offer to the client. So you would track your time that you spent learning in, in the R&D phase and then say, okay, well, can we, 
is there a likelihood that this is going to become a saleable thing that can earn revenue down the road? You've had this experience in pharma, right? We, mm-hmm. Pharma companies will spend $5 billion on a drug to research knowing that they can make $50 billion later if it succeeds. And so they'll invest kind of like a venture capital fund, 50 or 100 or 200 different research candidates knowing all but one is going to be a, a waste of money, right? Because uh-huh. you, you'll find the 99 drugs that don't work on the problem. But if you find that one, then you can charge, you know, one point three million dollars per dose of this thing to people, and you know, and all the the fun that comes with with healthcare billing. But that's the process that they take is they say, okay, here's a bunch of investments. We're gonna we're gonna place bets. Uh-huh. We know most of these bets are not gonna pan out, but the one that does is really gonna pan out. So some of the risk calculation we have to take in, into account is when we look at the the things that we do with our time. Are those things going to pan out? If you take, you know, three hours to have lunch with somebody one day, you're placing a bet on that person, right? If it, in a business context, okay. forget if it's an actual friend, that's that's separate. But if it's a, if it's a business meeting, you're like I'm placing a bet, maybe this person will turn work out, maybe this person won't, but I'm going to place that bet and expecting ninety five percent of them just to to not be a good use of your time, but the five percent that are are really worth it or they can be really worth it. So I guess that's the calculus that kind of goes on in my head when I'm thinking about how do I weigh the value of things that don't have immediate monetary value. The challenge for a lot of organizations is that if uh, you know for particularly for publicly traded companies, you have very short time horizons to be able to show value um, before somebody says nope, uh, we're not going to invest anymore in this. And some of those things that may be of greatest benefit may take longer than a quarter, uh, you know, one business quarter to, to show some results. And so you have to have a culture that is willing to assume a certain amount of risk over a, a long time horizon. Well, and I was going to say, you know, you're talking about it as if you are dealing with rational people who understand the research up front for the longer term benefit. But when you're uh, evaluating third parties to get work done, it's the immediate like, I just need something done now. It's the reactive, reactive, reactive. It's not the thinking through, I wonder how this is going to look in the long run. And I think we see this with some of our larger enterprise-sized clients where they just don't have the staff to execute, you know, the things. And what ends up happening is they'll bring on, you know, a third-party, you know, agency, you know, vendor, contractor to get work done. But then they'll just keep piling on to this vendor without really thinking through, is this the right use of their time? Because they've already got them in the system. They've already got them working. And the vendor is probably like, okay, great. I can increase my retainer. I can get more money out of this. I'll just figure it out. And so the flip side of the conversation of that third party relationship management is you as the third party, really being honest with yourself and with your clients of, can I even do this work? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, we've been there when we first started Trust Insights, we kind of said yes to everything just to get our feet under us. And as, you know, the company matures and we're going to hit, you know, we're actually past the five mark, but our public five year anniversary is this March. You know, we know the things to say no to. And sometimes it stings a little bit because you're like, well, technically I could do that. But do I need to be spending my time doing that? And I think that that's sort of the flip side of the conversation of that relationship management is really having that honest conversation between the third party and the person who's bringing them on of, 
just because you can doesn't doesn't mean you should. And so, you know, if we position ourselves as, you know, a data analytics company and someone goes, oh, but I know that you in the past have done Google ads, right? Can you do that? Our first inclination inclination is probably to say, yeah, we can do that. But then when we really take a step back, say, does that make sense for us to be doing? And that goes, again, back to expectation setting of like, here's our boundaries. Here's the things we can and can't do. And for the things we can't do, we will help you find another relationship for that. And you bring up a really important point of view there. There's a difference between hiring for competence and hiring for excellence. Uh, if you just want warm bodies and seats, right, then you're hiring essentially for minimum competence and you don't really care about the quality of the work. You just want people off your back. Uh, if you are hiring for excellence, then you're hiring for, okay, what is this company good at that they specialize in that they can, that there will be provable results for, right? Mm -hmm. In your case, uh, in your example, yeah, we can run Google ads. Should we be running Google ads? Probably not. Um, can Do we have a good track record of using Google ads to generate results? Yes, because we, we focus on data and it's a data-driven system. But is it our center of excellence? No, it is not. Um, uh -huh. it, is, it is not our center of excellence. And while we can certainly pinch it when we need to, a company shouldn't hire us for Google Ads, right? So if you're right. focused on excellence, if you want excellent performance out of Google Ads, we're not it. Right. Um, if you want excellent performance out of Google Analytics, we are it. Um, uh -huh. Right. So it, it, it is the, the vendor, like you said, being forthright. Here's our centers of excellence. Here's what we're really good at. Um, hire us for these things. Uh, and it is then on the, the company to decide, do I want to hire for minimum competence just to put butts in seats, or do I want to hire for excellence, knowing that it will be a more complex set of arrangements? Because there is an appeal to the one-stop shop, right? Uh -huh. the, you know, we have one vendor for everything, and and that one vendor is is good at nothing, um, but mediocre at everything. That's a company culture thing, right? You you can't really change that. Um, certainly not as a third party. You, you certainly can't tell the company, yeah, you, you kind of hired a bunch of dummies. <laughs> but your internal culture is also a bunch of dummies. So it kind of works out. Well, and, you know, to be clear, both are fine. It's just a matter of what your company really needs. And so if you're hiring, you know, just to, you know, fill in the gaps for now just to stop you know the overflow of things happening that's fine but that's not a long-term solution so having those short-term and long-term solutions are totally acceptable so if you're hiring that one-stop shop who can just keep the trains running while you keep the customers happy that's great but not a long-term solution so you need to have figured out okay great we're gonna hire you for three months but my expectation of myself and my team is during that three-month period, while you are just filling in the gaps and stopping the overflow, I need to also figure out a longer-term solution. And maybe you, vendor, show me that you can step up to the plate and be that long-term solution, or I'm also then interviewing other agencies to be that long-term solution, knowing that that interview process was just going to take longer and I need to make sure that for right now, today, things don't, you know, go sideways. And so yeah. it, 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 it again goes back to, you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve? And if the problem is, I just need warm bodies to push buttons, great. 
you can fix that problem. You can hire a third party who's going to do that for you, but set that expectation with them so that you can say, I'm not looking for a long-term relationship with you. I just need you to fix things for right now. Our contract is three months and we will evaluate at the end of three months and see where things stand. But I'm setting the expectation, letting you know that this is exactly what's happening with this relationship right now. Yep. The one thing, and this is, I guess, the last point I'll make is that because of the nature of change in in the digital marketing industry, especially, but in all industries, um, a partner that is minimally competent is generally not adaptable. Right? They generally mm-hmm. cannot keep up with with rapid change. Uh, a partner that has a center of excellence, they are focused on that center of excellence. And when things change in that industry, like you know, we're seeing some massive shifts right now uh, happening in SEO. Uh, SEO is in six months is going to look totally different than the way it does mm-hmm. right now. Um, if that's not an area of excellence for your vendors uh, and and you need to, you, you, it's a, a core part of your business. That's an area where you have to spend some time looking at your five P's, looking at your user sort of always saying, okay, this is something where we cannot compromise on a, uh, an agency that's merely competent. We need an, a, an agency that is specifically excellent at this one thing because the landscape is changing. Uh-huh. So if you've got some stories about the way you select vendors that might be helpful to folks, why not pop on over to our free Slack group? Go to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, where you and over 3,000 other marketers are asking and answering each other's questions every single day. And wherever it is you watch or listen to this show, if there's a channel you'd rather have it on, go to trustinsights.ai slash TI podcast. You can find us on pretty much every channel. And while you're there, if you don't mind, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps to share the show. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon.